0: Good morning. morning. My name is Heather Thornton, and this is Todd Bliss and Kathy Rodelius next to me. We are the three that made up the Dominican Republic team about two and a half, three weeks ago now. So we are glad to be back to report to you um, what amazing time we had. Uh, We could talk for a week, and I told Pastor Greg that he might have to fight me for the mic. So be patient with us this morning. We have lots to say. If I can get the slides to work. First of all, we want to thank you for all of your support, uh, financially, prayerfully, and everything else that uh, went into our trip. It was a long time coming and we are glad to be back to report to you today. Um, We couldn't have made it as far as we did with the uh, Mercy missions that we had come up on the field without your support. You'll notice on the first slide, um, $1,239 was raised between our Sunday school classes, our kids' Sunday school classes, and the craft sale by um, Darcy and Jenny and Tammy. So uh, an amazing cash in hand we took with us, so that was just a huge blessing that uh, we'll tell you about in a few minutes, how that worked. Um, First of all, uh, when we greet people here in the U.S., we just say, hi, how are you, good morning. Um, Over in the Dominican Republic, they have a way of greeting, kind of almost filtering who's a believer and who's not, and it's not meant to be stereotypical, it's just an, an honest, heartfelt Christian greeting, right? So I'm going to teach it to you today, and there will be a test later. So it is, uh, Dios te bendiga. Say it with me. Dios te bendiga. And the response, if you're a believer, is amen. So if you, don't, if you are not a believer and you're greeted that way, you don't know how to answer. So you just say, good morning, or how are you, or see, si, yes. So that's, uh, we, and, and every, they greet everybody with that there's no uh, filtering for anything it's just that's how you were greeted so um, we we said that a lot when we were there we say it now so it's a good thing to have in your pocket Um, so as you all know we went with the premise of working on the water treatment plant evidently the clicker's not working so uh, my husband's going to have to be patient with me and walk through this with me this all started this little piece of property here is before we landed over there this is february of 2016. this is the clay that they broke ground in um, to start the plant i'll just point at the booth they'll do they'll do their job Uh, right before we got there this is what the foundation looked like the little mess right there in the front of the screen is the opening to the well which is 260 feet down into the into the ground um, these guys work like dogs, and in a good way. I mean, they are just the workhorses. I've never seen so many people work so hard, kids through adults. Um, and when they have a project that they really believe in, they really go at it wholeheartedly. So um, this is right before we got there. Oh, now it's working. Maybe. <laughs> this is the upper level and if you'll notice those supports in between those two levels are trees. When they run out of lumber and we found out that they rent their lumber there because it's so termite infested that if they kept it they they the return would be nothing. So they rent their lumber until it's destroyed and then they go to the next vendor. So when they need something that's they don't have on their worksite, they go to the trees. And it was just funny that we would we would see them just walking down the street with trees on their shoulders. Where are they going? Oh, they're going to the plant. Okay. (laughs) Ah. So day one of our um, participation in the project, uh, we walked in and this is what we saw. Two barrels full of water, some wheelbarrows, um, tons and tons and tons of brick, and about, what did you say, 30 people waiting to help with our team? There's 14 on our team? Okay, Um, And we worked from about eight thirty in the morning till five in the afternoon, um, breaking only for lunch, and it's it's ninety five plus degrees with about seventy eight percent humidity all the time. So, those of us that are, <laughs>
1: <laughs> you could have finished your sentence. I was just going to. Um, I wanted to say after Heather was done that our team, our team that we went on consisted of fourteen individuals from the United States. There were four of us from Minnesota. Um, there was a, a young gal, Megan Ask was a friend of our daughter Emma's uh, that went and then she goes to Grand Canyon University and recruited um, seven other individuals uh, from there, uh, college students and then we had a music worship pastor from Lake Havasu Arizona so that was our team and then we met a Dominican team over there comprised of uh, people that were our translators who were also worker bees alongside us the translators don't just stand around and and um, you know wait for us to ask them to ask something to an individual that uh, Speak Spanish. They actually worked side by side with us. Um, people from the church, the lay people um, from Villa de Dios Church, took time off of work as well as the people from the Adonai Church. They took vacation from their job so that they could work alongside of us because this is a big deal to them. So I'm going to give this back to you. <laughs> I'm going to give it to Todd because. <laughs> um,
0: so we worked, we worked three days. We worked longer than three days. Thank you, Pastor Greg. We worked three straight days to get to this point. And what you're looking at here is the front porch of the building, um, and it's a 1,300-square-foot building on the lower level, um, and so we had all of our teams. We got about 10 minutes of instructions in Spanish, and then they just said, go. So (laughs) uh, God was there to bridge the gap, our language gap, and our knowledge gap, and we just uh, brought our hearts and worked alongside them, so it was an amazing time to be able to work and get to this point by day three. So this is Friday of our first week. Um, On Saturday, we were supposed to work, and the leader of our team, Ellen, said that, you know, since we are so far ahead of schedule, let's change gears and let's have a day with the children in the village. And there's probably, I don't know, three or 400 children in the village. And when we started this plan, we, we went with, on prayer, and a hope that we had everything we needed to make this pull-off for these kids. Two o'clock in the afternoon on Friday, she said, go through your duffel bags, pull out everything you can that you can think of, that you might use for your groups. We had to volunteer for certain age groups, and run with a plan in English. And here's a translator. So we pulled the bus up to the village that morning, and 100 kids got on the bus, on a 16-passenger bus. No English on the bus, but those of us that had very little broken Spanish. And uh, we had four and five kids on laps. And the parents just, you know, knowing that we're Christian Americans, they just threw them on the bus to us and said, go. (laughs) So we took off down the road to a polo field, which is flat and and full of mud, but flat, and played games and just had a good time with the kids, told stories about Jesus and how he loved them, um, pulled out our toys and trinkets, and just had a great time with them. So it was about two hours on the field, and then we got rained out. We then went back to the church at the village and shared a meal together, which consisted of like chicken and rice and ice water, which is a treat for those kids. So all these kids, in Spanish and English, singing songs, playing with the, the teens that are in our group, um, playing with the toys we had, just having a great time together um, in Jesus' name. And at the very end, we went back up to the hill to the church, enjoyed a movie together, and then a little treat of warm soda pop. So that was their treat for the day. And then, you know, here the parents come pick up their kids. You can't go anywhere until the kids are picked up. The kids run loose there. So they just, these little toddlers, They go find your mom, and they take off down the road. And, you know, we're just like, where are they going to go? Who's going to pick them up? And that's just their culture. So, but these kids just had a great time, and uh The the people that run this church in the village, uh, Pastor Gisela and her son Jason, are a phenomenal team. um, They just do a great job with the kids, and it was just a fun day. So I'm going to pass it off to...
2: I was just going to (coughs) say, it's worth noting, too, that there are no telephones. So all these kids, and just in the three- to five-year-old group, wasn't there 40? Mm -hmm. There's 45, I believe it was. 45 three- to five-year-olds no phones, two o'clock the day before, word of mouth, was, God was truly, truly with us the entire time because that just just doesn't happen and the fact that it was such a joy for all of them.
1: Um, we noted when the kids went to um, when the kids went to eat that day that there were some we put it in plastic styrofoam containers for them. It was just easier to feed them because there were so many children. And then uh, laid out tarps for them to sit and eat on but there were those that would um, take a couple bites and then they would go back in the line to find a sibling or maybe a friend to feed them Um, so you knew that that hunger was an issue with them there were some kids that took their containers and just took them home um, because they had family at home that were starving and that they wanted to be able to help um, help them with that it was really touching to me to see that that um, it's a fend-for-yourself world over there with those kids. They're brought up to just kind of, it's every man for themselves, but yet they still have that compassion to, um, to love others. So that, that really touched me. So, um, Pastor Marino Mendez on the left you'll see um, is the pastor of the Adonai Church. He's actually the uh, national that Ellen Abramson from ASAN first started to work with. Um, he actually called her to the Dominican Republic, and that's a story for another day, but it, it is a God story. Um, and then on the right, you'll see uh, Pastor Gisela and her son, Jason. Uh, Jason doesn't necessarily work for the church, but he is instrumental in what happens in the church. He, uh, he works closely uh, with his mom um, there. Um, we were on the job site, and, uh, and you have to elbow me if you want me to stop. We were on the job site one day, um, and Pastor Marino was there with us every day as Pastor Gisela was. He was not feeling well, um, so he would take off for a little bit and go, to rest in the church and resting in the church means you sit on these uh, park bench style benches uh, that are hardwood to try to get some kind of a break or lay on the cement floor or the tile floor and then he would just kind of pop in and out but he just wasn't himself um the next day we went back to the work site and we were um, there and he was there and then he was gone he was there he was gone um he did finally go over to pastor gisella's house he just was not feeling well um, so Pastor Gisela asked him to, if he would just lay down um, in her in her uh, house on her bed for a while and nap, and he had a very short nap and woke up with a start, and uh, and went to Ellen and said, uh, "We need to get Jason and Pastor Gisela together now. I have a word from the Lord." And this is how Pastor Marino Mendez works. Um, he's an amazing man. I call him the Billy Graham of the Dominican Republic, because he is so set on um, being walking side by side with God and listening for him and allowing him to work through him. So they called a meeting together and uh, Pastor Marino said, um, Pastor Gisella, you need to reach these families out here through the church. There's a huge uh, coven out there. It's evil, it's uh, witchcraft. It is pulling people in and people are um, harming themselves and harming others. And he just um, he just really felt God laying this on his heart saying, if you want these people, To come to you and to the church and to be part of this church and to be saved by Jesus, you need to go through the children. And so um, he was very stern. He was not angry, but he really felt compelled that God was laying this on his heart and that he needed to convey this to her and to the church. And that was a a very powerful God moment that we had experienced while we were there.
2: To add to that, um, he didn't just say to her, you know what, I think you should do this. He was incredibly stern with her. Very, very stern. But the point to take from that is how they took it. Pastor Gisela and her son Jason took that information in open heart, with, with open hearts and open ears and, and I thought about that. How would we react to that? How, how would we do that? I know for myself, I'd probably first, I'd be mad. I'd be like, what are you saying? I'm not doing my job? But over there, that's not what happened. Brothers and sisters, well, two of them happened to be our interpreters. They teased each other all the time, but there was never, ever, ever an argument. There were father-sons working together. I can't even imagine working with my dad once in a while. But these, these people, they love each other so much, and they're so willing to do what God needs them to do that they're able to take the stern words that Pastor Moreno gave and they ran with it and it it was it's just an amazing amazing situation
1: just want to temper that too because we make him sound to pastor marino sound like he's a a very (coughs) stern man he's not that's why the picture of him blowing bubbles is in the middle of that (laughs) photo he's a loving kind-hearted man um he sings most all the time he's just very very happy and loves the lord loves to teach the children um songs about the lord so
0: The money that we took with us, sorry, um, equaled about twelve thirty nine, and we had another donation come in at, at $1,000 right before we left for whatever we needed on the field. So we went to Ellen the first day, and we said, we have this cash, and it was complete cash. It was the weirdest thing to take all this money with you through the airports and through customs and not tell anybody you're dragging all this money with you gave her the cash. She goes, I don't want it right now. I don't want you to think about it right now. I want you to pray to God and ask him what the direction is you want to spend the money on, and he will reveal it to you. And he did. About four days into the trip, she said, let's go talk to Pastor Gisela, who's in the village, and find out what some of the needs of the locals are. And we went to talk to her, and she said, well, this person had moved, and this person had moved, and this person had passed away. So the, the top three we had on our list weren't um, ways to spend our money anymore. So she said, I have another idea. Let's let's go talk to this gal who's one of the cooks that the that they hire on for missionaries to come. And she lives, this is her property right here. On the left is the septic sewage field that you have to walk across to get to. The little lean-to on the top, on the right there, is her home structure. And it's on a slanted piece of property that's completely wet clay, mud, And the retaining wall in the front there is not retaining much of anything anymore. It's all sliding into the road. And the structure is made up of burned pieces of wood, um, trash from the neighborhood, uh, pieces of tin that they've taken out of other people's homes that have been vacated. And this is what they live in. And she's ministering to us. And we're coming to her home. And she's so proud to show us her home. It says, I need help fixing it for my family. So we went with two Spanish-speaking pastors, uh, Kathy and myself, and um, Pastor Marino's grandson, who's one of our translators, and had this conversation about what it would cost. And he's, you know, furiously writing numbers on a piece of paper, and comes up with um, it's going to cost about two thousand dollars to put a concrete pad on this piece of property, the right way with rebar structure underneath, and to make some zinc walls and to make it stormproof and livable. It would cost our entire our entire purse of money that we brought with us for one family. And he just was just unsettled. He says, I'm not sure this is where you want to work at right now, so let's let's think about it a little bit more and we'll come up with what God leads us to. So about four hours later in the afternoon, Marino Pastor Marino says, Let's let's go take a walk. So we walk to this next property that overlooks these I gotta look at my notes. Caballero Mountains that runs through the entire length of the, the country. It's <coughs> a big flat piece of property behind a property that Pastor Gisella owns that her family farms. And total, it's about a third of an acre, under under, a little under half of an acre, for $2,000 American dollars. And the problem is, for the locals, it can't be parted out for under that total amount for the acreage. So they can't spend what little bit they have to purchase this. It would be, it would need to be the full $2,000. So at this point in time, they didn't have any money to to purchase this. So again, the the, the five of us having this cross-cultural conversation with God, throwing out all these questions, and we're throwing out questions, Pastor Marino's asking questions, Giselle is asking questions, and the faster we talked, the faster God was pointing his finger at where we should go. And by the end of our half-an-hour conversation, we had all agreed to spend the $2,000 that we had to purchase this property that could be parted out into four pieces, Each piece would be sold to a family that they would have a a home structure on and also a garden plot so that they could fend for themselves and and have a little bit of something to own in this community. The village church, I'm going to paint a little bit of a picture for you here. The village church is like right here and about two two areas of land over is the water treatment plant and about another two areas over is where this land is and it's about a, a block back from the road. So... When we started talking about this, and Pastor Marino and Gisela said, we could, we could buy this and, and make this homes for four families. How do we make it go further? And she said, well, we could buy this other piece of property that's for sale after we sold this to these four families, and then we could, we could involve four other families. So and it, it's kind of making a circle all the way around the church. So, you know, the, the church, the, the village name is the Village of God. Which was renamed after Mata Gorda, which is not a very nice name, and it's very poverty, a uh, poverty-stricken land, and people just don't have anything out there. So to see this piece of land, that's an opportunity for four families to have, it really was a no-brainer for us to make that decision. So you know, Kathy and I went home later, and talked about it and prayed about it, and we felt both felt that the dollar amounts that we brought from the church, with the dollar amounts that were from the private donation, were where God was leading us to make this decision. So there's a, a nonprofit group started by the church that's out there. It's called Mono Imano Kon Adonai, which is Hand in Hand with God. And I asked Ellen, I said, so does this, this organization, does it have the, the capability to purchase the, the land? She goes, we don't have any money right now. I said, well, I think you have $2,000 as of today that would start this project. So later on that evening, we went to worship with the uh, youth service in the city, and when there was a gal that was preaching that night and Ellen leans over, she goes, that's the lawyer that's already drawing up the paperwork for the land. So there's no committees, there's no red tape, there's no anything to get through to make this stuff happen. If you have the cash in hand, the land is yours. So as of now, um, in partnership with God, we own this piece of property in the the Dominican that's going to provide homes for four families. And then if they, we don't know the dollar amount they're going to sell it for to the locals, but that money's going to be put into a kitty, and that's going to go further to to purchase four more parcels for four more families. So um, Pastor Marino's vision for this village started how many years ago? Ten plus years ago?
2: I thought it
3: was 13.
0: 13? Okay. <laughs> we have seen in fruition out there already, the church, the water plant, and now this stuff, the, the home's being built, and, and the, there's water being piped to other families in the village, and there's things that aren't, being said that are happening in the name of God. And so this stuff is all coming to happen, and we were blessed to see it firsthand. So it was really cool. Um, the, the remainder of the money that we had left, Pastor Marino brought to our attention um, this home. that was we're on, we're on the roof of the water treatment plant on this picture on the left here, taking a picture of the house and the kitchen. All their kitchens are outdoors. The kitchen is across that little sewage field to the right And they're drying their laundry on the roof because that's where the the heat hits it. Um, This little kitchen had all but burned down and been knocked over. And she was out there one day cooking beans on this little makeshift stove to feed her family. And Pastor Marino went over and said, I think we need to talk to her. There's five people living in two bedrooms. The children sleep with a dad in a bed. And there's one little girl in the family who's four. And when we met this mom, her name was Margarita, and her daughter is Melissa. She had this darkness about her. You could just sense it. She was not happy. She was not joy-filled. There was some there was some real evil going on in that little girl, and it was heartbreaking. But over the course of the next few days, we made friends with her. We made friends with her mom. Pastor Marino stood in her front yard with our team, the, the three of us, and prayed and with no minced words said you need have Jesus in your life and he is the gift and the only way to get to heaven is by accepting that gift and I heard in the broken span my broken Spanish heaven and hell and the gift and if you want to see your daughter again that's what you need to accept so I mean just there's no making an appointment to see the pastor the pastor comes to you and just says in no uncertain terms this is what your life's going to be unless you accept God but we had told her that there, there wasn't anything hinging on the fact that we were gonna help her. The help was from God, it wasn't from us. But God was just the bonus gift in this. So <coughs> the, the before picture is on the right. Sorry, it's not working. The after picture is here on the left. The blue house is now pounded out 55 gallon oil drums, which is what they use for sheet metal and this structure that's twice as big as she had before. They're gonna put a concrete pad in that structure and they're gonna connect the concrete to her house so you don't have to step through all the sewage to get to the kitchen. And they don't wear shoes, so you're stepping through all of this. Cows were traveling through there, chickens were traveling through there, and the latrine is right next door, so that stuff is seeping out and it's just, it's not a good place to be. So you can see on the right side, Margarita is mom, and the little girl is Melissa. She's got this huge smile on her face. That's the last day that we were there. Um, So we were able to minister to them through this project um, with the help of you guys. So I am so glad that you can see what we saw firsthand uh, based on your uh, generosity.
2: I was just going to say, Heather had mentioned about the makeshift stove. Um, Any thoughts in your head you can... To throw them out because the makeshift stove over there is a cinder block. They break it up to form it, and that is their makeshift stove. As far as for worship, we here have an amazing group with Scott and with Brad and with all the gals and the people on the instruments. I mean, we are blessed here. Now take that, put all these people, put them in your back pocket. That's what it was like over there. If you're having a bad day, boom, pull them out. It, 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 I know it, it sounds funny, but that's how I felt over there. I felt like Brad, Scott, and the whole team were there with us every time they would start up playing, and we're working. It's it's again ninety plus, almost eighty percent humidity average every day. It was ho- it was hot. Got miserable once in a while, and on the Saturday, for example, when they were playing with the kids, I had it. I felt God tugging at my heart to stay and work with just the guys, just me, no interpreter, just the guys. It was, uh, it was an amazing situation. And, and just the guys to show you their love for God, too. they would just start singing just in the middle of all this. They would just start singing and praising God and having fun. and So then you just ramp that up when you added the youth to that. So that, that to me was really cool. But while I was there, that was my analogy was to be able to have this worship team, in your back pocket to pull out at any time you needed. So,
1: I just want to add to the worship piece, too. Um, On on the bus, on the way out from Pastor Moreno's to uh, Villa de Dios, it was about 25 minutes or so ride. And so in the front, Juan Carlos and One, One's in the red shirt in the upper left-hand corner, and Juan Carlos is on the right with the drum, Um, they would start to play. One played an instrument called a, a guira, um, it looks like a cheese grater with uh, like a kind of a whisk with open ends. And um, so they would start, and it would be a silent bus that suddenly would just come alive and worshiping God. Um, they would break into song during the course of the day when we would be working. Um, if it was a break time, they'd stop and get a cup of water. They'd pick up the drum and the weirah. It was uh, amazing. Um, that particular day that uh, that is up on the photo right now, um, the... The lower left-hand corner is actually the youth service that we were privileged to be able to attend there. Um, The people that put that together um, go right from uh, school and university, go over there and they practice for a couple of hours. The service itself is a good hour and a half plus, and then um, they're there till very late. So it's amazing. They spend a lot of their time at the church. It's really a central part of their life. Um, The picture to the right, uh, where we're all kind of uh, praying together, we had a, a situation when we were over there where um, there was a, a witch that lived, across the, lived down the way from where we were working but um, went to this, the little store that was across the street from where we were working, and um, he would watch us all the time. And there had been something that had happened in the community just before we got there that uh, wasn't very good. I won't go into details, but uh, the community was up in arms about it. And so um, we, we weren't sure how to respond around him. Um, we did, certainly didn't want to invite evil to be part of our day, uh, so Ellen one morning said to us, I think what we need to do is, um, you know, you can greet him and say hello or, you know, bendiga, but then, you know, stay on our side of the road and let's just uh, get our work done. But this particular morning, Ellen asked us to uh, all lift our hands and pray out loud in the languages that we speak and in our own words and ask God to bind the enemy from us and protect this place and protect these people whom he loves. And I tell you what, it dropped me to my knees. To hear this chorus in different languages and in different words, raising your hands, crying out to God, knowing full well that he can do anything to protect us and to love these people and to protect them, it was just amazing. And it was dead silent across the the street when we were done. I think it probably floored the witch too. So it was really cool to see how God worked through that. Um, um, and I look forward to the day that we're in heaven and we kind of experience that same thing because God knows every word that we utter, regardless of the language and regardless of the words. He understands that.
0: One more forward, please. (laughs) One more forward. Okay. At the end of our eight days of work, we didn't do it, God did it, but we were part of it. It's 98% complete. That paint that's on the front of that building is wet in the picture, and the concrete on the, on the ground is wet with a little tiny strip for us to walk on. They wanted so badly for us to have a complete picture of what we had, com- what we had done that they worked into the night to get that um, concrete.
1: Nec-
0: Stucco, thank you. <laughs> Neckleth. A stucco done and it painted so that we could have a picture to be proud of. Not that we weren't proud of, you know, who we were with and what we were doing, and it's just beautiful anyway. But they cleared out the front, they made a sign, they put the sign up that they carry everywhere, and they had us take a picture of what we did so we could bring it back to you. Uh, the projected opening date for the water treatment plant is August first, and that's going to be based on whether or not the government gives her full approval, which. It can get stuck in the red tape and the corruptness of the government, but we're praying that that doesn't happen. That God's name will be all over that, and they won't have a, a battle in it um, to get it open. So that's what 98% of it looks like done from the front. This is our team, our Dominican team, our local team, our college team. Um, at the end of the day, th- at the end of the day on Tuesday when we were getting ready to come home. God be, to God be the glory for everything that happened there. Um, we have great friends and family now that we talk to all the time. There are no oceans between us. with Facebook and all these other apps of, of things that you can connect with, it's just amazing what God is doing still um, through all of this. One of the uh, kids that I adopted over there, um, I was talking to the other day and he asked me, he said, do you have a softball team in in your neighborhood. And I said, well, my neighborhood's different than yours. He's in the city. And I said, well, not really. We don't. We used to have one in our church that we would play other churches. And he kind of got mad at me. And he goes, what do you mean play other churches? How do you expect people that don't know Jesus to know Jesus if you don't take the softball team out into the area and play with non-believers? You shouldn't be playing with people from your own church. I thought, "Well, you've got a point there. And I'm sorry. So, um, you know, I was able. You know, and they have VBS there too, so I was able to talk to them about you know what we do for kids. We're outreach reaching out to the kids that are lost, and, and we're, our next big project is VBS here, and um, our missions project will be something that funds keeps this funding going for Ason and um, the village and the city church. Um, so look forward to more information about that. But
2: uh, to add to the softball thing, one of the things that God had really put on my heart to share and it's not like we don't have a lot of spirit in this church, but something I really noticed there is, for starters, back when Pastor Moreno had that conversation with Pastor Gisella and Jason, he made a point of saying, this is no game. This is no game. We need to reach these children. We need to get them on track. This is no game. Um, the other thing... One of the gals in our group was a cheerleader. And this is what I felt God really put on my heart. And you know, here in the States, you go to any game and you got that cheerleader going, more noise, more noise. And they get, which section can be louder? Over there, they don't need cheerleaders. They truly don't. They don't need cheerleaders over there. They are born with just that. We, uh, I'm we had talked with uh pastor greg and he'd pointed out something that i had not thought of but look every look at every option and things we have if we're having a bad day we eat chocolate we go shopping we you know there's things we can do here they don't have those options their only option is god that is it they have nothing else so i uh No, and they truly don't. They don't look for anything else. Um, Last night, I was fortunate enough to be at Joyful Noise, and uh, Chris Tomlin was the last person on stage, and one of his songs was Soul on Fire, and that really hit me. It it hit me hard that that is exactly what they have, and I'm trying to figure out how I can install that into my life, and I think that would be something important for all of us as a church or congregation and all that.
1: I just want to share with you one other uh, thing about the, the people in uh, Adonai and at Villa de Dios and um, Pastor Moreno, in particular. Um, they kind of, uh, they live their life based on uh, Matthew 24, uh, like 12 and 14, verses 12 and 14. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. We, we have heard them say when we were there, and I did again when I was there in December, um, they say, uh, Jesus, viene pronto. Jesus is coming soon. And they really believe it, and they live their life reaching others with the gospel because they believe that Jesus is coming soon. Um, and it just was a real testament to their faith in God, regardless of their economic status, regardless of what their family uh, history or status is, they truly believe that. Um, so I just wanted to share that with you. And then also, um, just lastly, and then I'll give the mic back to Heather, on July 3rd, Ellen Abramson from Ason International will be coming to our church to speak. And I understand that's a holiday weekend, but if you are around, I really encourage you to come and hear her. Um, she has just um, been, uh, uh, she has allowed God to use her in, his, in any way he sees fit to uh, reach the lost, and it's just, a, she's got an amazing story. So I'm just inviting you and encouraging you to, to do that.
0: So I told you there would be a test, right? Dios te bendiga. Amen. Very nice, thank you. Um, I'm going to leave you, we're going to leave you with one final note. Todd doesn't know this is coming, but this is just the most joyful video you'll see today. <laughs>
4: Well, (coughs) after that, it's uh, time to take our offering. Uh, We'd like to have the ushers come forward for prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we offer these gifts to you and ask that you will use them. We've seen how in the presentation here in the Dominican, how you have used gifts there and Lord, take what we give, use it here, use it there. Let your name be glorified. And may we seek you in all that we do and give you our lives and all we possess. In the name of Jesus, amen.
3: This place in time
5: you friends thank you for sharing your gifts with us DR team thank you for sharing what God is doing friends what God is doing there you have a part of Poet. Musician. Warrior. Shepherd. Man after God's own heart. Adulterer. Murderer. Broken. Restored. Anybody know who I'm talking about? David. David was a man after God's own heart, but, but David had a problem. And if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Our time has, has gotten away, and that's okay. In a moment, we're going to gather around the table. But I want to make just one little thought with you. David begins a cascade of failure. It says here in verse 1, it was the time of year that kings go out to battle. And David sent Joab. Did you catch that? David was supposed to go and protect his people. He had a job to do. He had the position of king. And he sent someone else. Friends, When we get into trouble with God, it's often because we have been sent by God to do something in the name of God. And guess what? We choose to do something else. We're not where we're supposed to be. So he sends Joab. Go on again with me into the chapter. And they go out and they attack the Ammonites who have been attacking them and they besiege. But notice that at fateful verse, in verse end of verse 1, David remained at Jerusalem. David had made up his mind to stay where it was easy. No second thing. Next verse. And it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch. Did you catch that? Yeah, afternoon couch nap. Yeah. He's a warrior, not a couch potato. He's the leader of a nation, not a couch potato. But here he's a couch potato. And he gets up, and you notice the next part of the chapter. He looks out. He's the highest place in Jerusalem. He can see everything, and something captures his eye. A beautiful woman. A beautiful woman taking a bath. And now, before you get on Bathsheba's case, understand she thought she was being modest. Nobody else could look and see what The king saw. And notice David's step to failure. He keeps looking. David could go, ooh, wrong sight. But David keeps looking. David keeps searching. Then he asks the question. You notice what he says. He says, "Uh, guys, guys, who is that? Who's that? And the answer should have stopped him in his tracks. You see, the answer was that's Uriah's wife. Who's Uriah? Uriah is this loyal, dedicated friend, servant who had fought for David. He would take an arrow for David. He would do whatever David needed. He was a man that you would want as your best friend. And what does David do? It says he sent his messengers, and in the ESV it says it this way, he took her. That meant she didn't have a choice. And then adults, since we have children present, you can fill in the rest of the blank. And she answers, I'm pregnant. So David, this man after God's own heart, repents and makes it right. Not. He becomes convinced of his own cunning. You see, pride and arrogance and entitlement had filled his heart. And so what does he do? He puts a plan together. I'm going to cover my tracks. Only his plan doesn't work because Uriah is a righteous and honorable man. And here's where David becomes a cold blooded killer. He writes a note to Joab, he hands the note to Uriah, and he says, Take this to Joab, your general. He hands his own death sentence to Uriah and makes Uriah carry it. Talk about ice cubes in the veins. And so David falls. David falls. Uriah is killed. David steps in, he takes Uriah's wife as his own. In fact, I'm sure everyone thought, what a gracious king, a fallen warrior, and instead of the wife being in poverty and suffering, the king in his graciousness reaches out and takes her into his own home. What an amazing man David is! Or at least, that's the way the press release read. But as high as David's castle was, God's is a little higher. And God saw what was going on. So he sends Nathan the prophet. Nathan, I love Nathan. Nathan goes, Hey, David, you know I'm a storyteller, I like storytellers. David, I got this story and it's a true story, but uh, it's going to break your heart. But there was these two guys. One guy had just tons of sheep and everything. One guy, he was poor and he only could afford a little lamb, but he raised it and it became more than a lamb. It became part of the family. In fact, he loved it like a daughter. And some out-of-town guests came and, and and the rich man came over and he stole, he took that little lamb from the poor people and he killed it and he served it to his guests. And David, just that shepherd king, jumps up, let it ever be. That man's as good as dead. He's going to pay four times over and then we're going to kill him. You don't do this. And here's Nathan. And you're the man. That long, bony finger touching the tip of the king's nose. You say, how did this happen? How did it happen? Now, David repents. And if we had time, I'd show you Psalm 51. We don't have time, so you're going to read it at home. And it's the repentance prayer. David doesn't fight it. He says, you're right, I'm, I'm a sinner. He breaks down. How did it happen? Three things. David forgot his position. He forgot who he was. David forgot his relationship with his people and his relationship with his God. And David forgot. David forgot what was precious. Now, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we have a a problem. We have a problem at the Lord's Supper. We have a people who had forgotten their position. David had the position of king, they had the position of being children of the king. They had forgotten their relationship. That they, were, that they were children who had a Father who sent His Son to die on the cross for them. They forgot their relationship. And they forgot how precious it was that it cost everything. Everything. And so they get into trouble. So Paul puts one little thing in place. In, in, here in chapter 11, look for where it says, examine yourself. Verse 28, let a person examine himself. Paul says, because you've forgotten... You've forgotten the cost. You've forgotten who you are. You've forgotten your position. You've become like David. Arrogant. Pride-filled. Hard-hearted. Examine yourself. I want you to think about something very quickly. We're going to go over a few minutes today, my friends, and I think it was worth it. But I want you to think about this David did not get up one day and say, I'm going to be an adulterer. David didn't jump off that couch and say, Today, I'm going to set in motion a thing that will turn me into a cold-blooded killer. I'm going to allow my heart to turn like stone to God. David never thought that. David started out with little, tiny decisions. It was a process that started, that worked in his heart, that gave him that sense of entitlement, that gave him that sense that he needed to turn his heart to the things he wanted. In fact, when he killed Uriah, he had justified it in his mind. His mind had become so twisted that he said this is better for him to die so it doesn't impact the kingdom. How did he get there? It was by a series of little decisions. friends, you chances are not going to walk out today and do some horrible crime. You're not going to reject your God today. But I want to warn you of those little decisions. Those little step-by-step decisions that harden our heart towards God. And God in His graciousness gives us the communion table and one of the purposes of the communion table is that we would examine our hearts on a regular basis so that our hearts would not turn hard to God. That our hearts would reveal those little steps so that God would never have to send a Nathan to point at.